starting in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Paul writing here says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up unto paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. On such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he should, seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measures. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that, he might, that it might depart from me. But he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, Paul is writing this about 60 A.D. And uh, verse 2, where he talks about, he says, And I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Now, what he's talking about here, and this takes place in Acts chapter 14. Why don't you turn over there with me for just a second. Acts chapter 14. I don't know if your Bibles, I have an old Schofield that I use, but I've used uh, Thomas Chain reference Bibles before too. And uh, But they have a, in the old Schofield, they have a timeline in the middle of them. They give you an idea of the date that the, the scripture is being uh, talking about. And if you, again, if you look uh, back in our text, uh, in Corinthians, he's talking about 60 A.D., you, and he says in verse 2 that about 14 years ago, he says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. He's talking about himself. And, and in Acts chapter 14, and starting in verse 19, it says, and if you look at your timeline, it's somewhere between 45 and 46 A.D., which would fall right into that timeline of 14 years previous to this. He goes, there, there came hither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas unto Derby. So what you're seeing here is that he actually was dead. He actually was dead, and God took him up to the third heaven, and he um, revealed things to him. And one of the things you need to realize is, you've heard our pastor make comments before about how the apostles 
before the resurrected Lord actually didn't have as much backbone as they needed. Uh, they cut and run sometimes. But after they saw the resurrected Lord, they stood in the council of the Sanhedrin and, to, and the Sanhedrin said, we forbid you to preach in this man's name. And they said, is it better to obey man or to better to obey God? You choose. And basically they went from men that cut and run to men that just due to us, they'd already seen what they did to Christ. And yet they said, just do whatever you're going to do. We're going to do what God tells us to do. And that was because they'd seen the resurrected Lord. They, they knew you kill me and I get the same thing he's got. I go to heaven. And, uh, and I, and so, you know, it, it went from faith to sight. That's one be, going to be one of the glorious things about the rapture for us when we get to go to heaven. Everything's no longer by faith. It's sight. Um, you know, the scripture talks about hope, faith, and charity, which is love. And he told, Paul tells us that love is the greatest. Why? Because there will be a day in the future when we don't need hope and we don't need faith. Because we're going to be in heaven. We won't need the hope of salvation. We won't need faith to believe in it. We'll see it. We'll be living it. But love will be there because of the love of Christ will be there. And so love will endure, and that's the reason it's the greatest. Well, you look at all of the apostles, and you look at the one who did the most for God and went through the most for God, and that was Paul. And not only did the, the other apostles see the resurrected Lord, and that's what they saw, and they had the Holy Spirit, and they, they were used of God mightily, but Paul got to go to heaven. And because of it, he did, he endured more and did more for God than uh, any other uh, man on the face of the earth other than our Lord Jesus Christ. But the thing, I, we're going to study several things here, but one thing I want you to share, share with you is a personal experience. And that is, don't believe everything somebody tells you. Uh, we were visiting about 15 years ago with some family. They went to Southern Baptist Church. I have no problem with Southern Baptist. Uh, my, there's a lot of saved, you know, there are brothers and sisters in Christ, but they use quarterlies. Our pastor develops all of our Sunday school material for the teens up. Well, in their quarterlies, they were talking about this same experience that we're studying about in Corinthians. And during the course of lesson, they ask you, well, when did this happen? And their notes that they had for the teachers was that it happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Well, the trouble is, if you study in book of Acts chapter 9, verses 34 and 35, where he got converted on the road, well, actually it was in A.D. 35, 34 or 35, when he got saved on the road to Damascus. That's 10 years, 10, 11 years sooner. So how could he be writing in, 19, in AD 60 and saying 14 years ago, I got, you know, I saw this man who had this vision, got took up to paradise, and they're saying, oh, no, it happened 24 or 25 years ago. Now, how could a large organization like the Southern Baptists get, a, get it so wrong 
Now, the thing is, if it hadn't been the associate pastor teaching the class and me being a guest, I would have just corrected it. But I decided I'd just chew on my tongue. But I couldn't, you know, they just take the quarterly because it's in the quarterly. It's got to be right. And they don't look at the word of God. All they got to do is know when something's happening. And Paul is writing in 60 A.D. and he says 14 years ago. Okay, back up 14 years. You're talking about A.D. 45, A.D. 46. And when, what was Paul busy doing? Well, he was in Lystra at that time. And, and so I'm just sharing that with you is that there's a lot of saved people, good people, good intended people who don't know what they're talking about sometimes. And if they can't give you chapter and verse and take you to the right chapter and verse, uh, take it with a grain of salt. You know, if any teacher or preacher gets up and doesn't give you chapter and verse, he's giving you his opinion. He's not giving you the word of God. He's giving you his opinion. So that was a, a personal thing I just wanted to share with you. But the thing is, um, Paul was told uh, things in verse, and then he was told not to, that he couldn't speak about it. In verse 4, he says, He was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. In other words, he was basically, he knows Somebody told him that I'm not allowed to talk about what I saw, what I heard. He knew that they were unspeakable words to utter. Now, somebody had to tell him that I'm telling you something, and it's to be a secret. In other words, it's for you to know, to help you in your ministry, but you can't go about talking about it. Would you agree with me by what we're seeing in the text? So he knows he can't talk about it. That's the reason our pastor so many times has preached from the pulpit that he doesn't believe any of the stories of people who said they have died and gone to heaven or seen something and then come back and they write a book. And that, that's his, his belief on it. I believe he's probably right on it. Paul said he wasn't allowed to talk about it. But, uh, so, but the thing is, how much is pride a problem in the human being? Quite a bunch, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think we all suffer with it. We all have this problem with pride as much as we try to control it. And God knew that he would have a problem with pride. Even the great apostle Paul, he was just in the flesh. And so God gave him a thorn in the flesh as a reminder don't be tempted by that strong temptation that pride is. You know, God gave him a constant reminder. If God tells you not to do something and you're tempted to do it and he sends a strong reminder your way, my, you know, my dad used to call it knowledge knots. You know, he, he's, you know he'd uh, raise a knot on my head quicker than I could rub it down. Uh, but the thing is, you know, if God sends you that strong reminder and you're still tempted to do what you're told not to do, do you think God's hands are still tied behind his back? He can raise the ante. Would you agree with me? Amen. So God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, a constant reminder 
I've given you some marching orders. I've given you information that you need so that you can do the work for me that I want you to do and do it in faith. You've seen glory. You've seen heaven. You've seen the finish line. And so I want you to be busy about my work. But I know the human nature. I may, you know, you know, he, he knows man and he knows that we're tempted. And so he gave him a constant reminder, don't forget, you're not allowed to talk about this. And it evidently was a severe enough thorn in the flesh that Paul never got tempted to utter those unspeakable words. But we go on and we see that he said that um, in verse 7, it said, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be above measure. Now, Satan was happy to do anything he thought would hinder the work of Christ. Don't you agree? So, you know, Satan was the one who sent, was applying the thorn in the flesh. And God was allowing it. But the thing is, always remember, God only allowed it to go as far as needed to accomplish his will. In other words, Satan would have been happy to kill Paul instead of seeing all these churches get built. But the thorn in the flesh was there to accomplish God's will. We sometimes will go through things in our life to adjust our course of life, to adjust our attitude to humble us. You know, we just don't know exactly what all God's trying to accomplish necessary by the trials that come into our life. But we do know one thing. God is good. And because of that, his purpose always has to be good. And we know we're loved because Jesus went to the cross. So we can trust that loving Father who allows these things to come into our lives. Sometimes we bring them upon ourselves. We just get took to the woodshed, and we know exactly. God the Father never spanks one of his kids, and his kid not know why he's getting spanked. You know, it isn't God comes home and had a rough day at the office and just spanks one of the kids to relieve a little pressure. You know, God, if you're getting a spanking, you'll know why you're getting a spanking. If you don't know why it's happening... God's just molding something. God's shaping something. God's directing something. And we see here that uh, he had this thorn in the flesh to overcome, make sure he didn't fall into temptation. Paul knows uh, in verse 8, he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Now, I read that to, to believe that verse 8, he's, he's, he's given us information, but at that time he didn't realize what, he didn't realize the information of verse 7. In other words, he's praying that it would be departed from him and he doesn't yet have the revelation in his mind why God has given him the thorn in the flesh. In other words, I got a thorn in the flesh. Whatever that health issue was that he's got, he prays three times that God will remove it. And it's only through God's revelation that he learns later it's there so he won't get exalted, so that he won't be tempted in pride. And so he prays uh, three times um, 
to have it removed. Now, the, what we're going to look at here now is the application of this lesson for us. I've given you the background on it. Now I want to try to give us an application for us. You know, when we go through uh, pain, disappointment, concern comes our way for whatever the issues are in life, we need to, to do the exact same thing Paul did in verse 8, and that is he sought the Lord. It says there, and he says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Um, let me ask you this. And then Paul was consistent in his prayer. He prayed three different times. Do you think Paul knew how to get in touch with God? How to pray earnestly? But let me ask you this. Do you think God answered him as we see Jesus answered him in verse 9? Do you think Jesus answered him the first time he prayed? I don't because I don't think Paul would have prayed twice if Jesus had told him he isn't going to take it away. I don't think Paul would have prayed again. I think he would have just, okay. But the thing is, God didn't answer him the first time. Why do you think God didn't answer him the first time? I think sometimes God puts us all to the test on, okay, you prayed once, now are you going to go out and try to solve it yourself? Or are you going to be dependent on the Lord? Are you going to try to fix it in the flesh? Are you going to try to deal with it yourself? Or are you going to truly leave it at the Lord's feet? I think all of us are guilty at times about knowing where we ought to go with our problems, but not leaving them there. And because of it, we walk through this life with a lot of burdens that aren't ours to bear. But we do it anyway. Has God been faithful to you? Has he been good to you? But we've all gone through trials, haven't we? How many of you, how many of you been like me and just worried yourself sick over them? And at the end of the day, did your worry do anything good? You know, maybe you snapped at your wife, snapped at the kids, kicked the dog. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't do any good, but we do it anyway, don't we? We're weak and I'm, I'm so glad that God Loves frail us, silly us, you know. Um, but the thing is, um, he prayed consistently, and it proved that he knew that the only plus only place he could go to get relief was God. But the thing is also be very clear when you pray. Don't just be consistent in prayer, but be very clear. In prayer, ask God a question he can answer. How many times do people say, Lord, just, I just wish I knew your will for this, or I wish I knew your will for my life type deal? Well, I can answer that one real quickly. Just get busy doing the things you already know you ought to be doing. But then, specifically, when you've got specific problems that need to be dealt with, ask God specifically. He asked for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. He didn't say, Lord, I just hope you bless my day. He, he asked specifically for this thing to get took care of. Ask clear questions uh, of the Lord. He can give you direction. In my life, I have found that there have been times when I had to make decisions. 
It came time to move our family from Ohio to commit to borrow a bunch of money, build a factory here in Houston, relocate my whole family down here. That decision had to be made. We either do it or we don't. And I had to ask God for that permission so that I knew that whatever the challenges were, I would get, I would be in his will for my life. And what I did was I got into scriptures. I spent some time in the scriptures. The whole family had gone to bed. I laid out on the floor in the living room with the lights out. And I said, God, I got to move my family to Houston if we're going to do this, but I don't want to do it out of your will. I need to know, do I have your permission to move to Houston? And then I just got still. I'd asked my question. My time of talking was over. And I just laid there and got still. And I knew my anxiety levels. I knew how my juices flowed as far as big decisions. But I laid there, and all of a sudden, I just got a peace. I got a peace in my heart, and I knew God had given me permission to do it. After that, I never asked again. I did ask how, but I didn't ask should I. But the thing is, we need to ask God consistently, and we need to ask God clearly what we're trying to see done. You know, let me ask you, if you throw out a hodgepodge, just a blanket kind of request to God, are you really expecting much of it to get answered? How much faith are you really showing in God? Ask him specific questions. Is this what you want me to do? What is that saying when you do that? You're trusting him. That he's capable of giving you wisdom to make it. Now, you may, it may be the answer may be no. I've had that happen to me before, too. In my heart, there's a real sense of dread. There's a real sense that it, and every time I've been mule-headed and gone ahead and pushed on through, I've got a whooping. And uh, after a while, it hurts bad enough you quit if you're smart. And then there's been times when I didn't get a feeling either way. And I had to just understand it's either, it's not necessarily no, and it certainly isn't yes, maybe it's just later. And so you you continue to pray, because I don't have a clear answer yet. But be consistent, be clear, and then be willing to accept the answer. That's the thing that I think a lot of us don't like, is we, we get a real clear answer on what we're supposed to do, but that isn't the way we wanted it to be. And so we go on and do it our way. And I know the end result of that. If you're one of God's kids out of the will of God, it isn't going to work out real well. Paul asked three times. A lot of people believe it's Paul's eyesight that was real poor. No one knows for sure. But if you were a missionary trying to do ministry, having your eyesight would probably be real handy, wouldn't it? And and he prayed three times for it to go to get it to have it removed, a problem to be removed. And Jesus told him in verse nine, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
The answer, whenever you get it, you got to be willing to accept it. Um, go with me, if you would, to Psalms. Hold your place here, because we'll be back. But Psalms 138. I don't know if you're going to get out of here earlier or not. Brother Keith, to answer your question from earlier. Uh, well, we'll... <laughs> they can be thought of, yeah. Uh, Psalms 138 and verse 2. Psalm of David, he says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth for thou hast magnified thy word above thy name think about that just a little bit god god almighty has elevated his words above his own name think about that just a little bit now, what is his words about? Most of them are promises to us. In one way or another, either instruction to us or promises to us. And God is saying, higher than my own self, I have elevated my name. God has. So how, how much of a guarantee do you have on God's promises to you? It's a pretty high guarantee, isn't it? And, and so when we pray to the Lord and we pray consistently and we pray clearly we need to just remember who is speaking when we get our answer either through the study like brother David made the comment Sunday and it's been so true in my life I've had particular problems in my life sometimes situations that I was dealing with pastors preaching on a totally different topic and yet he reads a particular verse, and God the Holy Spirit jerks that verse out and answers my question. I don't know how many different times I've had that happen to me in my life, and that was my lesson for the day. I don't know if I even remember what the preacher preached on the rest of the deal, but God used that verse that he was using in one context to answer a question for me. And, well, we just have to remember who is doing the speaking. When we're praying to God, and if he gives us an answer... We just need to remember who is speaking, and if he makes a, if he gives you permission, and you know it's within. Now, I'll tell you one thing: God will never give you permission to do something that's contrary to His Word, because it's God, the Holy Spirit, that inspired the Word of God. So, you'll never get an inclination to do something and think it's God that's leading you to do it if it's contrary to His direct Word. But you can pray as one of his children and get answers. You can read in his word and ask. Sometimes God will use his word to be the answer to your prayer. You'll find it in your Bible study. And that's the reason we need to be in his word and studying. Um, our solution, as we see here in verse 9, to all of the, our concerns and our need for prayer and everything else, is the same thing that was true for Paul, and that is God's amazing grace. All of our concerns, all of our issues in life, they're all going to be dealt with and handled in God's amazing grace. He sits there and Jesus speaking to Paul said, My grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Think about what God's grace has done for each one of us. It has saved us. I mean, just think about that. It's God's grace, his unmerited favor toward us. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. Grace is when God also gives us what we don't deserve as far as good things. It keeps us. We can never lose that salvation. We, we didn't do anything to earn it, and we can't lose it. It supplies us. You know, so many people think they're self-made. Well, there isn't any good self-made men. Uh, the thing is, God supplies all of our needs. You know, we're so full of ourselves sometimes, but the thing is, we need to remember, if it was, I mean, who gave you your health? Who gave you your ed- opportunity for education? Who continues to give you your health? Uh, you know, everything we have is a gift from God. And so he, through his amazing grace, he supplies us. He strengthens us. How many of you have ever gone through, it doesn't have to be a physical problem. It can just be a trying time. Someone you dearly love going through something and it's breaking your heart or a stressful situation in any form it's taking. And yet God gives you a peace that passes understanding. He gives you the ability to weather the storm. And where does it come from? It comes from that amazing grace that God gives. Just like he gave it to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient. It also satisfies us. Think think about the peace that you have in your heart right now, knowing that your heavenly Father is on his throne, that Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you, that you have an advocate with the Father, Because of the salvation that Jesus has given, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. And when you don't even know how to pray, God the Holy Spirit prays to God, Jesus the Son, and makes intercession to God the Father for us. I mean, there is a satisfaction, there is a a safety, there is a, a peace, there is a comfort, there's... Jesus Christ, and, and because of what he's done for us and the grace of God that's extended to us, it satisfies us. There is a peace that you can have when you lay your head on the pillow at night. Now, the thing is that I want you to also notice that Jesus said that his grace is sufficient. He said to Paul, said, my grace is sufficient. Think about that with me. It will always be enough. You know, you know, a lot of us at different times go through different things in our season of life. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ have gotten a lot more years on them than me. And you've seen everything life can throw at you. And yet Christ has been sufficient. You know, I've told people before, and I'll probably repeat myself, but when I was about 25 years old, somewhere in that age group, God just gave me a thought that, He's given us a crystal ball to see the future. And that crystal ball is, is just find brothers and sisters in Christ that are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who have seen everything that life can throw at them and still have joy. And figure out what they've added to their life and add the same things to your life. Because we've seen a lot of folks that are bitter and sour and everything else And you want to avoid the things they added to their life. Because God's not a respecter of persons. 
God doesn't love one of his children more than another. And if you, you, you look at any person that's got some years on them, they've buried their grandparents, they've buried their parents, they may have buried children. Uh, they have gone through everything that you could imagine life can throw at a person. And if they still have joy, figure out what they added to their life and add the same things to your life. God, like I said, God's the same today as he was yesterday and as he'll be tomorrow. And he doesn't, he isn't, you know, doesn't, isn't preferential. He doesn't love one person more than another. And so look at your brothers and sisters in Christ that are older than you. And the ones that are sour and bitter and stuff like that, do a little examining and then stay far away. Uh, and the ones that have got peace and joy and happiness, investigate even deeper. And add those things to your life. And you, you'll find that God can't help but honor the same things to you that he did to them. Um, he's, his grace will always be sufficient. And then notice the phrase here, my grace is sufficient for thee. We have a personal salvation. We have a personal God. He loves you and he loves me. And his grace will be sufficient for thee. Every one of us have our own road to walk. And we don't know what that road holds in front of us. But I can promise you there will never be a day that God's grace isn't sufficient for thee. There's a comfort in that. God, who we talked about, who's magnified his word above his name, has made these promises to his children. And it will be sufficient for thee. We just have to appropriate it. We can either be walking in our own strength or walking in his strength, looking out to try to figure it out all for ourselves or going to our Heavenly Father in prayer and being consistent, being clear, and then being willing to accept the answer that we might hear. I want to thank you all for your attention tonight. Brother John, could I get you?